Welcome to the Fabricators Coach Podcast, where we believe that every fabricator deserves to have a business that not only makes the money, but also gives them time to enjoy it. In each episode, our goal is to share real information that you can take action on and use today, information that if you will use it, can help you reduce the chaos in your business, help you make more money, and help you get your life back. Well, folks, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, welcome and a happy Friday. Thanks to all of you for joining us today. Um, for those of you who haven't been with us before, um, we set these sessions up for an hour. Um, and I do not plan to read PowerPoint slides to you for an hour. I hope that's a great relief. <laughs> we set this up more as a, as a conversation than as a presentation. Uh, I think it's very important that um, we learn from each other. I think all of you have something to offer. I think it's good for you to ask each other questions, offer each other ideas. So I like to, to try to set up more of a peer-to-peer -peer learning environment. What we want to do is, is just do a, a quick review of an article that came out earlier this month in Slippery Rock Gazette. My background, for those of you that don't know me, um, I've got over 40 years experience in business, in coaching, and manufacturing. I uh, literally have worked with hundreds of companies in a lot of different industries uh, across the U.S. And, and around the world. I've owned my own brick and mortar business, uh, a couple of locations, a lot of employees. I uh, know how lonely it can be to be the owner of a, of a fab shop. Uh, I've managed as a plant manager multiple types of, of manufacturing plants. Um, I've coached a number of fab shop owners over the last 20 years, and I ran a shop for a few years. Uh, so I understand uh, a lot of the challenges that all of you folks are dealing with, both as business owners and as as key production folks, uh, you know, managing production and, and having key roles in your operations. So the article we're going to talk about today is whose job is it anyway? It came out earlier this month in Slippery Rock Gazette. Um, you can get a copy there if you haven't read it yet, or you can go to fabricatorscoach.com, select a blog off of the upper menu. And you'll find a copy of, of the article there as well. Just a little background. Let me ask you real quick. How many of you are struggling to find good people? Just to raise the hands or, or hit the, okay, it looks like, a, Dan, I can't see or hear you. So <laughs> I'm going to assume you're in with, with everybody else. Um, yeah, it's still a big challenge. I am talking to a few people around the country. We're starting to see some softening in, in a few areas uh, as far as business goes. I've actually heard about one company that uh, in California, a large organization, probably about the size of yours, Jeff, maybe that um, that had a big change in management and they're restructuring a lot of stuff. They've actually laid off a few people. So that's really unusual. That's the exception. But most folks I'm talking to are still pretty busy and it's still, you know, just it's tougher these days to seem like to find good people than it is to find air on the moon. Right. It's just it's really a challenge. So the, the question is, what do we do with that? This series, this is six in a 12-part series for the year. Uh, the objective is to help make um, make this year better for you than last year. It help you work on your business rather than working in it. Kartik was just talking about that. And it's because you really deserve to have a business that not only makes you money, but gives you time to enjoy it. All right, so what we were talking about was the fact that, you know, people are still struggling to find good employees. It's, a, it's always a challenge. And, you know, my dad grew up on a farm during the Depression. And one of the things he always taught me was it's not so much what you've got that counts, but what you do with what you've got that counts. And so the key here, I think, is to make the best use of the people that you've already got. Now, in, in previous articles, we've talked about things 
you know, is one on how to find 10% more capacity in your plant talks about value added and non-value added. And what those definitions are, value added, the, the, the bottom line is that's when the tool is in the stone. And so going in and, and looking at what are the times when your tool, your blade, your CNC bit, or your polisher is not on the stone, and what's causing that to happen. Starting to put some metrics around and then take actions to improve the amount of value added time. You're, you're paying for a, a saw to, to work eight hours a day if you've got an eight hour shift schedule. How many hours a day is that tool in the stone? Um, another article, how much money can your shop make goes into well, a lot of the things that cause a lot of non-value at a time. Uh, having orders go through the front office that don't have all the information on them. They go to the templar, the templar's left to clean up all the mess. He doesn't get it all done. It order ends up on the shop floor. And then all of a sudden you've got people having to stop what they're doing because they don't have the information that they need. Or they do things wrong because the information is incorrect. So this article talks about that. And then this last one, having trouble finding good help these days, has got some good recommendations on how to find people, some different ways to help get paid for training for some of those people. And there's a really good uh, recommendation there to, um, to use your, your business card and a $20 bill as a recruiting tool. So that, that's a pretty interesting thing. So let me ask you another question. Uh, we're not going to go back and review these concepts in detail because they're all there for you to go read about. And these, again, none of these articles are, they're about a thousand words. They're not really long, kind of a full page in the slippery rock, if that gives you an idea. Um, so how many of you have got written job descriptions for every position in the company? So any of the rest of you have any job descriptions in your shop? Any of your positions anywhere in the company? Okay. All right. Having them is great. And I, I think if Dan had access to his mic, I think one of the things he'd probably tell you is that having them is great. Making sure that they are continuously updated as business conditions change is even better. Uh, Dan, um, I, have a, I have a question. Yeah, so, like, you know, we, 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 we've been starting this, the, you know, my attraction tools platform. Uh, you know, I think that everybody's trying to push this EOS thing on us and we've been, we, we drank the Kool-Aid and we're implementing it. But again, the, the leadership team and the people that have access to the traction tool software are able to uh, look at the vision, traction, look at the thing, but the guys don't, to barely speak English. So how do you communicate that without the software, without, you know, and... Okay, so you're talking about, if you guys, if the rest of you aren't familiar, there's a, there's a book out called Traction, and there's a, a business management system called EOS, the Entrepreneurial Operating System. Uh, if you ever read the E-Myth or E-Myth Revisited, it's kind of like taking that to the next level. There's a separate company, separate from the E-Myth guys who put this together. Um, Karthik was talking before we started. Um, his sister, Deepa, who runs the company with him, uh, was at a Rockheads event this week. And, and it sounds like you guys are members of Rockheads and you've adopted or are implementing the EOS system which I think has got a really good structure, a really good set of tools. I, I like what I've seen about it so far. I've got one client that's using it and they're, they're really very happy with it. Your question is how to take the information that's, that's happening, all that's, that, that's part of that EOS system and how to get that to folks who may not necessarily speak the language uh, and may not be able to read English, that sort of thing. Okay. What specific items Front that you guys are working with in the system, or do you want to communicate to the guys? 
the, their job description, we, you have to put it in, you know, the accountability chart, you know, they're gonna put a job description in there. Mm -hmm. And metrics. So they, they don't get to see that really. And I text it out to everybody. Yeah. And that's the way we're communicating. And I guess that's the best way I've seen to communicate. Can they read the text? They read the text and they, they understand what's happening. How many, I guess that the goal is square feet. That's how I'm doing it. Sending it out, letting them see it. But it hasn't changed. I don't think our, our there has been zero increase in productivity in the last six months. Even though I am trying, you know, I'm showing them the metric and look what you're doing, but it's not, it's not improving. Can get to the needle to go forward. Okay. We're stuck. All right. So I understand the challenge. What do the rest of you think is some ways to address that challenge? Anybody got any ideas? So if I'm understanding correctly, your your problem is that you're having a stagnant productivity metric, correct? And your and your method has been telling them what they've been completing and trying to get them to improve that? They, we, they do, we send out a, a, a text message. You know, some people have, you know, a daily stand-up meeting. I, I just cannot seem to do that at Grand America. But that text message does go out as both robot completion numbers, the CNC completion numbers, and what we call QC completion. This, that's like what's finished ready to install. And um, that those, those metrics have not changed for six months. So you you believe it's the performance of your employees or do you think that you know you don't have the right tools to get the output that you desire i think that the, the performance is not changing and maybe it's because the goals are not there the compensation structure that provides it is not there the so we are trying to get rid of overtime. That's not that's a pushback against that. Uh, that's, we're not bringing yeah. the slabs in uh, for for the rope again. I think that the heartbeat is the is our baka. You know, if it cuts more, I think we can CNC CNC it and QC it. But the we're not cutting enough. Um, that's what's causing the delay. I tried to implement more cutting on a second shift. That really hasn't moved the needle. Can't, can't move the needle. Okay, so any machine, it, it, it can only do so much. The, the capacity of one machine is as much as it'll ever do. If you're running on the dual table Baca, you're going to be processing a slab, a quartz slab, maybe in 40 minutes, correct? And you're running that, that table for 40 minutes. You're loading that slab on the other table. Um, you're only ever going to get two slabs every 80 minutes. So what I've found is that our problem isn't with cutting. Our, our problem is with hand fabbing. Um, and to be completely honest, I've tried to push my guys, but the more I push, I, I feel them actually producing less. Uh, sometimes a laissez-faire uh, approach is the best. And the only thing you can do is try to boost morale. Um, and sometimes that happens indirectly. Uh, people don't like to be watched 100% of the time. So if you're constantly grilling them, it's going to make them feel less motivated to work hard for you. And um, that's what I've found. I try to build relationships, strong relationships with my guys. Um, and I also have a language barrier too. Um, but I've been trying to learn their language a little bit more and I, I speak to them in their language. I found that, you know, barbecues on a Friday during lunch help, uh, things like that. But really, if you have a set of tools in a shop, there's only so much productivity that you can create. And uh, you, I learned this in operations management, but um, really trying to push that trying to push the envelope is, is going to actually create less productivity for you. So maybe, maybe try to, to get and connect with them on a deeper level 
you know, that's not telling them how much they're producing and how much you want. Uh, try to try to help them with uh, their motivation in a different way. That's my su- suggestion. I don't know if that helps at all, but that's what I've uh, learned. Hey, Ed, it's Dan. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, man. All right, cool. Hey, Rich, I, I, I think I think you said Rich instead of Richard, but I 100% agree with you. Um, this is classic, like, um, I don't know, no matter what industry you're in, this applies, okay? What you're looking for from your team is this, it's something we used to call discretionary effort. Like, if they give you 80% on a normal day, you're looking to get that extra 10 to 20%. And um, and I agree with, with the things that Rich said before, because you're communicating them, not literally, but figuratively in a language that you understand, metrics, all that kind of stuff. Those are things that register in your mind that, uh, based on the results that you're receiving, aren't registering. And they're, so, in essence, it's like speaking. And and this is not a pun by any stretch because you have this natural uh, issue, but you're speaking to them in a language they don't understand. Uh, they don't process. They're not grasping it. And you got to find a way to be able to speak to them in a language, not literal language, fi- figurative language that they're going to understand. So a small trick to do that is a lot of the things that he mentioned before. The other thing, too, is being the leader of that organization, right, your operations, you know the things that they do, the inputs that they're going to do. They're going to produce better outputs, okay? Little things that nobody sees. So if I were you, one of the things that, and we've done this here, I don't know anything about granite, you guys. I've been doing this for months, but we've increased our productivity and decreased our headcount, increased productivity by about 20%, decreased our headcount by a third And at the same time. And one of the things, small things that we're doing is I'm catching them doing something right on the front end. For instance, if I want them to put a slab a certain place because I know it's going to be quicker for them to be able to cut it, I go and when I see that happen, I celebrate the hell out of it. Okay. Um, behind the scenes, when they're not looking, they're not expecting praise. They're expecting praise and square footage production. And that doesn't work because when you want more and more and more, that, that never ends. Okay. So if you're able to catch them doing something right on inputs, that are going to be able to put them in a place to increase the likelihood of producing a better output and catching them and praising them. However you praise, whatever it is that you do, and what more importantly, however it is that the praise that they hear and understand and appreciate is what I would do. So that front end, first step one, two of the process, uh, find them doing something, ask them to do it, and then when they do it, celebrate the hell out of it. Um, and uh, they're going to look for ways to continue to do that more, which then allows them to be able to produce at a higher percentage output that you're looking for. The, if, if the manage the output only, um, man, that's for you. That's not for them. They don't get that. To manage the inputs, the front end stuff the right way and celebrate those things before it becomes square footage produced, you're in a lot better spot. Dan, I think that's awesome advice. Really appreciate that. I think that the parallel I would offer is it's like uh, managing leading indicators rather than lagging indicators. The lagging indicator is the output. The leading indicator is the behavior. And I think what Dan's talking about is celebrating the behavior as a positive reinforcement. You know, one of the challenges we've got as managers is the way most of us were, if we had any training or if we modeled any other manager, you know, we always go look for the exceptions, the things that aren't being done right and go out and try to correct those. So it's always constant negative feedback. And like Dan said, people are not used to getting positive feedback. And so I challenge managers a lot to, to intentionally schedule time during the day to go out and find something that's being done correctly either at the right speed, the right method, like Dan's talking about, whatever that is, uh, a safe practice, you know, that you've talked about and celebrate that. Pat people on the back, reward them. 
I have managers sometimes that'll, and especially today with with fuel prices like they are, keep a keep a, a half dozen twenty five dollar gas cards in your pocket, and you want to do some some uh, like random acts of kindness kind of thing. Go find these positive things to celebrate and hand out twenty five dollar gas cards. You know that kind of thing. It's it's not a lot of money, but it's a pat on the back and it's a thank you, and and it can really reinforce good behavior. And the right behavior will get you the right results. There's a fantastic book. Okay, that um, applies it applies to any industry, all right? Especially if you've got a younger uh, workforce that when I say younger, they're not, you know, they're in their 20s or 30s or whatever it is more. I'm 42 and my generation and younger, this applies to. In my old job, I had a group of about 300 sales reps and they all were millennials, okay? So I had to figure out a different way to speak the language. And um, everybody, everybody's work harder, do more, this is wrong, fix it. You know, that's a very traditional old school leadership method. If you're going to maintain that, good luck. It's not gonna, and I'm not saying you are card tick, so don't get me wrong by any stretch. But, um, uh, but if, you're, if, if somebody's going to lead a shop that way, in this industry, uh, I've noticed that that is extremely prevalent because you've got a lot of owner operators. They're in the mix. They know how to do it. They know how to do it better than the operator that's doing it now. I don't have that luxury, so i got to figure a different way out. But the book is called The Power of Positive Leadership. It's written by a guy named John Gordon, and he's written a ton of stuff like the go-giver, or excuse me, not the go-giver, but the energy bus and a lot of motivational-type books. And when it comes to leadership, all the process-oriented leadership stuff uh, is all great. And even my background is sales, so I had all those salespeople. I'd never, I stopped reading sales books because they're all the same. And I don't know if this is true for operational stuff too. I would guess it's probably similar, but you get so caught up into all these operational techniques and things and all that. That's all great, but your ability to implement that is going to be the key to success in anything that you're doing. And so I stopped reading sales books and started reading motivation and leadership books. And the one that I love is that one, that power positive leadership. And John Gordon, you'll search him. He's written a ton of books. They're short. So I love it. There you go. Uh, they're short so, and they're big font, so I love it. So I can get through it quick. It's not crazy. It's not 700 pages of the same over and over. But um, but it's a really cool book on catching people doing things the right way that you can apply. I mean, anybody can use it in any industry. You can use it with anybody, any relationship within an organization. And it applies really, really well, especially for times right now, you know, with, with the way things are and costs and all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend it. And I know I'm on a little bit of a soapbox, but sorry about that. But uh, but I highly recommend that for anybody that is responsible for anyone other than just themselves. Uh, it is a tr- fantastic book that you can pull a lot from. That's a great recommendation. Thanks, Dan. Hey, while we've got you on, on audio, can you just give the folks uh, just a quick uh, thumbnail sketch of your background? Yeah. Uh, so I uh, retired. I worked in court. I worked for a, corp, a large Fortune 500 corp, corporation for 20 years. Um, I was a, a, an executive there, a vice president, and ran a big, big, a big um, portion of our sales organization. So my family's been in this business for a long, long time. I'd been silent investor in this business and decided um, I was tired of um, the corporate thing. And, uh, and in January this year, came over into uh our business here, which is a tremendous uh, pivot for me. Um, a lot of learning in a lot of ways. I don't know anything about granite fabrication. I don't know anything about process. I don't know. I'm not an engineer. I don't know any of that. And I've learned it. Um, and we've done some really cool things here, uh, I think, that have helped our business a lot. But a lot of the things that we've been able to do have nothing to do with granite. They're just 
things that I've learned from working at that big company and, uh, and transitioning over into, um, uh, into what we're in now. So, um, so yeah, so I led a big group of people and, um, now I am trying to learn this. <laughs> and so I've talked to Ed a lot. He's been a great resource for me. And um, I always hop on these whenever he sends them. I try my best to hop on them because there's always stuff to learn, right? So that's me. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Um, Karthik, a couple of, uh, I think, first off, I think you got some great advice from both Rich and Dan. Um, so, yeah, um, Karthik's uh, kind of struggling with these. He's got a language barrier and he's texting out production metrics to folks, but it's not moving the needle. And uh, so he's kind of struggling with that. I think Rich had some good ideas. Dan had some good ideas. Just didn't know if maybe you had some thoughts you want to share. I'm, I'm mostly here to learn. So, okay, cool. Well, as, as you, as you get those sparks of genius, share them with us, if you would. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we've experienced a lot of the same issues that I've, I've heard you guys talk about or address. We, we had very explosive growth over the last 10 years and it's just, yeah, we're all in new new territory. I came from a background, uh, unlike Dan, where I was formerly a, an installer, and you know, I, I'd done every part of it, and and so it's more of the owner operator perspective. So it's interesting to hear other perspectives. Okay, super, super. Well, that's part of what we try to offer is to give you a lot of different perspectives from different folks and uh, learn from each other and, and share some good ideas. Karthik, one thought about some of the challenges you've got. I've helped um, several clients in the last year, year and a half, hire key people. And the language barrier is a big issue. Um, one of the things I've done in, in hiring these folks, we have either required them to be bilingual or I have insisted that the client identify a local resource that can train, and typically Spanish is, is the language that's the challenge. If they find a local resource in there that can train somebody in Spanish. And if we hired somebody that wasn't bilingual, we made them commit to becoming bilingual and the company provided the resource and paid for it. Uh, it's, you know, we all know, you know, I'm from the South, some of you aren't, you know, well, we all have, like to be talked to in ways that we appreciate, we understand, we relate to. And when you've got two different languages, I think not taking the effort not putting in the effort, not learning how to, to communicate well in that language, that other language, I think tells folks very quickly how well you value them or don't. And so I think that's something that's really important is, is the whole language issue. Uh, the other challenge I think is in metrics. What it sounds like you're doing is sending out, okay, here's how we performed yesterday or last week or last month. Um, I think it's really helpful to display as much in real time as practical, um, not just where we are, but how does that relate to our objective? And if we can do that graphically, you know, with, with charts, line graphs, photos, whatever, I think that relates to people better and say, okay, hey, we had a, we, we did, you know, a thousand square feet yesterday. Great. What were we supposed to do? Um, you know, was it 1,200? Was it 1,500? Was it 2,000? How close were we? And even take that a step further, uh, I've had operations that really struggled with that and just had a horrible time with it. We actually went so far as to say, okay, we're scheduled here for a 10-hour shift and in the specific example I'm thinking of. And so here's our goal for first break. Here's our goal for lunch break. Here's our goal for afternoon break. Here's our goal for the end of the day. So we had 
interim metrics. So during the day, everybody could see how they were. And we would just do something simple like a whiteboard and say, okay, you know, here's our goal for 10 o'clock. And the supervisor would go up and write that down. And here's how far we got by 10 o'clock. So we're either on track or we're not, you know, and people got that real-time feedback with something as simple as a whiteboard that really helped them help the operators understand, okay, here's kind of what's going on. This is what I need to change right now to impact today. And I think that's a, a dynamic that as well as you can implement something like that using whiteboards, using, you know, television monitors or whatever, um, whatever technology works for you can be really helpful because, you know, how did I do yesterday? How did I do last week is fine. Where am I today and where do I need to go? I think is, is more effective. So something to think about. Hopefully you got some good ideas to help you out a little bit. Yeah, I, I've been writing down notes and you no, know, I there's some really, really good points. Uh, we're talking about roles, responsibilities, job descriptions. I think we've had some really good discussion. Kartik asked a, a great question that got some really good conversation. But the summary on, on job descriptions is, you know, defining roles and responsibilities. If you've got a large company, you know, Jeff and Mark have got 165 employees. You've got a lot of specialized positions. It's a lot easier to define those roles and responsibilities because those boundaries and those expectations are pretty easy to, to dial in. If you've got a, a five or 10 person shop, it's a lot tougher because everybody does a lot of different things. It's still worth making that definition. So that's part of making the best use of the people that you've got is, is good job descriptions, good roles and responsibilities. And the, the critical rule around this is document, document, document. If you don't write it down, it never happens. Uh, also helps eliminate uh, and reduce misunderstandings. You sit down and have a conversation with somebody that's, that's fairly new about their roles and responsibilities, what you want them to do and how you want them to do it. It's easy to, to miscommunicate that from both sides. And so if you've got something written down, it's easy to go back and, and make sure we're all on the same page. Okay. Uh, if you need some uh, help with that, some of you have come from other places like dance from another industry. If you are a member of NSI, Natural Stone Institute, one of the benefits you get is you can go to their website under member resources and they have got, I think they've got probably well over a hundred job descriptions from multiple companies on multiple positions. So if you've never written a job description, there's multiple formats. You can find a format that you like. If you're looking for how do I define a specific role, you're not sure how to do that. You can probably find some really good ideas there. So I strongly recommend that. Okay. The other thing that I think is important as you look at making the best use of people that you've already got is putting together uh, your quality standards. What quality do you expect? What are you willing to, to let pass and what aren't you? And it depends a lot on the market that you're in. You know, certain commercial, high volume, multifamily, you know, multi-unit type things have different quality standards than the custom high-end 8,000 square foot homes. You know, so you're making sure that's defined well. And again, documented, people understand that. You know, there's the, the classic quality problem. You, you're walking through the shop, you see some A-frames with uh, some jobs loaded up, ready to go out for the installers to pick up and, and, and install. Uh, and you see a scratch on top. So first thing you do is, is go find somebody to fix it, right? That's job one is get this thing taken care of so it doesn't get to the customer. Uh, the next thing you start doing is what? Probably want to try to figure out how it happened, right? So then what happens? You start the Spanish Inquisition. You know, who saw this last? Who touched it last? Where did it come from? And what do you usually end up finding out? Well, it was fine when it left my, my spot. You know, I got it done with it. There wasn't a scratch on it. Um, you know, and so what you then what typically happens in that scenario? The blame game. 
it could be a blame game. Yeah, the you know the, the manufacturing coat of arms. <laughs> Wasn't me. It was that that guy. That guy, right? Um, yeah, that can happen. But I, what I see happen a lot of times is you gather everybody together. And now we have the Sermon on the Mount. Quality is everybody's job, and we're all responsible for quality. If we had bad quality, customers are upset. Customers are upset. They don't buy. They don't buy. We're out of work. You know that typical classic conversation we all have. And at the end, we say, "Okay, any questions?" Nope, everybody's fine. And what have we accomplished? Not a whole lot, probably. Yeah, we've made folks aware. They, they know we're looking. I'm sorry, Dan, did you have a comment? Yeah, and then actually what happens is next time that happens, all they do is hide it from you. So you don't know it. And you, you, you got more problems than you had before. So what's a good solution to that, Dan? I don't know, granted. And I don't... <laughs> you guys... Uh... If, if that would happen, probably what I would do is I would, we had a quality issue. I would, I would probably pull somebody, I would have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody uh, and ask them if there was something to happen that caused it to happen and uh, not be, be the dead horse, quote unquote, and, um, uh, and just acknowledge that it happened and tell them how important that person was to the process and, and how they their their uh, value add is, is important to creating a good product and that was it and leave it alone and so they they know that it was important but I wouldn't browbeat them at all I would just acknowledge that I noticed it um, without browbeating them and um, and move on so that they personally feel more responsible for it the next time that that situation arises and and um, and when it would and I know that they caught it uh, similar to what I said before I'd celebrate the hell out of it and tell them I appreciate it and how much it means to me and the business that they caught it this time and um, uh, and I think, uh, people look for ways to be able to get congratulated again, kind of going back to what I talked about before. So okay. that's probably what I would do off the cuff. All right. And I think it's a great approach. Uh, and, and if you can find where it happened, that certainly is a great approach. One of the things I like to do when we, you find somebody who's made a mistake like that, my assumption is always, they didn't do it intentionally. You know, if you got somebody doing it intentionally, that's a whole different conversation. That's not what we're here for. Uh, but, it, you know, it's, I assume it's not intentional. And, you know, when you go in and you find somebody who did something wrong and point out that they did it wrong, it's kind of a me against you. I'm right. You're wrong. Me good. You bad. You know, that's kind of the message that comes across emotionally. Uh, what I like to do is walk up to them and say, Hey, look, man, you know, we had to scratch and, 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 you know, that, that's a, I realize what you're doing is, is a, there's a lot of real challenges to doing what you do well and doing it you know, you know, doing really good quality every day, all the time. What's the biggest barrier to, to keeping this from happening? What do you think is the biggest challenge? And then that kind of changes the conversation to kind of me and you against the problem. You know, I'm not coming to Jeff and saying, hey, Jeff, dude, you, you messed up. You know, we've got to be better. It's kind of like, hey, Jeff, and I know it's really tough to get this right every time. What's the biggest obstacle? And then just shut up and listen. You know, I like to say that God gave us, you know, two ears and one mouth, and it wasn't just for stereo. It's, there's a hint there. Listen twice as much as you talk. So when you go out and ask these questions, shut up and let folks talk. See what you can find out. And sometimes when you say, hmm, what is the biggest obstacle? Yeah, if they'll actually think, they may come up with some things you didn't know about. You know, there's there's a part loose on a machine. These big guys been trying to get it fixed for a month, and we get that fixed, we can solve that problem. You know, it could be something like that. So I think that's good, too. Um, part of the point, too, is making sure that, again, we've documented those standards. And then we go in and we start training to those standards. How many of you have folks that you've hired that 
sometime in the first week, they go to lunch and then just never come back. They just disappeared off the face of the earth. You ever have that happen? I, I've worked, uh, I work a lot in, in a lot of industries, um, and I was doing some work with Ryobi about a year and a half ago. They were reshoring some stuff from Southeast, Southeast Asia, and they were just playing a numbers game. Throw, throw mud on the wall, see what sticks. They'd hire 10 people and hope they could keep two past the first few weeks. And a lot of large companies do that. They just, it's just volume, 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 and numbers. And when you start looking at, okay, what's the key to making sure that when you bring somebody on, that they'll actually stick. And of course, a lot of that is the selection process. And, and a lot of you have a lot of good knowledge about that. We're going to get into the selection and recruiting today. Some of the earlier articles I mentioned talk a bit about that. One of the keys is making sure that folks can be successful early and successful often. And that starts with a good orientation plan. Uh, I mentioned I've helped uh, some companies hire some key positions plant managers, ops managers, general managers, that kind of stuff. And, you know, Dan is from another industry um, and he's coming in and, and learning this industry, but what Dan brought with him, and I know this from having talked with Dan a few times, he's got a lot of really good management skills and good leadership skills. And whenever we've hired for these positions, every one of those positions I've helped a client hire the last year and a half, we've hired from outside the industry because we've gone out and selected for good cultural fit, good management skills, good leadership skills, and the ability to learn the technical side of the business. Because while this business can be complex, the technical side is not really any worse than, than most any other manufacturing plant. Some are easier, some are harder, but it's it's not it's not outrageously difficult compared to a lot of other manufacturing plants. Um, you, know, you, you go uh, into a plant, I was the largest manufacturing plant I've ever been in was one that assembled fuselages for 737s. That's a bit complex, okay? Uh, we've got we got some unique challenges in this business, but there are there are worse places to be. Believe me. One of the things we've done is gone in and make sure that those new managers, if you're looking at manager people type folks, and we would design a two week orientation process minimum. They would start off at install. They'd spend a couple of days riding with installers. They'd spend two or three days in the shop, you know, working on the different operations. They'd ride a couple of days with templars. Spend a day in CAD and engineering and doing layouts. And they'd spend some time with the scheduler, with customer service reps, with salespeople, with uh, inventory management, material purchasing, that sort of thing. And over this period of two weeks, they would understand the operation. And then that helped them figure out how they fit, understood the processes, the dynamics of what's going on, what everybody else has to deal with. So as a manager, they walk in and they know how best to start to apply their skills to have best effect. I think you can do the same thing even with the typical entry-level employee, which is a, a hand polisher. You know, that, that hand polish, finish polish person that stays wet all day with apron and boots and he's running that that high-pitched wine and pneumatic polisher all day long, um, I think it's worth spending several days, even as much as a week, doing the same thing with that individual. If they've never been in this industry before, and I think there's a lot of benefit to hiring people from outside the industry because you don't have to untrain bad habits, all right? Um, I think let them ride with the installer for a day. Let them spend some time looking at other jobs in the shop so they understand what's going on in your plant. Let them ride with a templar for a day. Uh, let them, you know, spend a half a day or a day with the engineering CAD layout operations so they get a good feel for what's going on in this countertop fabrication business that he's just landed in. Uh, you know, doing that, combine that with your safety talks, your safety orientations, that sort of thing. I think that orientation is very, very valuable. Helps folks understand where they fit. One of the biggest reasons that folks leave when you hire them and they leave early, they don't stay long, is that sometimes they get overwhelmed. 
you know, it's a, this is a new industry. Folks haven't been in it. Uh, and so the orientation, I think, helps. But I think having a solid training program is important. How many of you, your primary training program is on-the-job training and shadow? You hire a new saw operator, so you put that person with your best saw operator. So here, watch, watch this guy for a week. How many of you do that typically for your training? What's the problem with that, guys? Those of you who don't do that, what's the challenge with doing that? Yeah, they're only as good as what that individual knows. Um, and anything they're going to retain uh, is going to be a portion of what that individual knows. So. True. And while you may have put them with your best saw operator, have you put them with your best trainer? Just because that guy understands how to run that saw really well, he puts the numbers out, does great quality the whole bit. Does that mean he knows how to teach somebody else how to do that? And the chances are probably not. You're trying, you're, what you're trying to do is get folks to learn about osmosis. They don't even know what questions to ask sometimes. So one of the things that's really important is having a structured training program you know, even for the for that entry level job of hand polisher, you know, what is it we'd like for you to learn to do in this first this after you've done your orientation? What are your goals for the first week, second week, first month, second month? What specific skills would we like for you to learn? Here's how we're going to teach you at the end of each week. We're just going to do a quick evaluation, let you show me what you've learned, and we're going to see if, if the training program is working or not. And of course, it gets more complex and takes longer the more skills required for the job. But another part of that is, you may have heard this saying before, if the student hasn't learned, the teacher hasn't taught. And that means it's on the instructor, it's on the teacher to make sure the student learns. You have to meet the student where they are. A really good operator who hasn't been through that type of training doesn't know how to do that well. So find a local community college, local technical college, tech school, and look for a train the trainer program. There's a whole skill set around train the trainer. And whether you go learn this so you can coach your key employees how to train new employees or whether you have some of your best operators go through it, it's up to you depending on what you've got to work with. But go get that understanding and that approach and that knowledge in your shop because it'll help you structure these programs so that they work well and so that they're effective and so that when your employees, when you go to all this trouble to recruit people and, and hire them and bring them in and and, and go through all the onboarding that you do, the orientation, you're really like for a mistake, you know, because you've invested a lot in them. Um, this is a great way to help them do that. And, and everything that I've seen and read about why folks quit jobs within the first week or two of working there, it's typically because they don't feel like they can be successful or they're not really sure that their employer wants them to be successful. Uh, and so they're, they're overwhelmed, they're not feeling um, supported and the, just a few basic things can help overcome some of that. Does that make sense? Then, of course, there's the cross-training aspect. Karthik, you were talking about your, your absolute best, or, or I think maybe your only robot operator is out for three weeks. Uh, and, and it sounds like you've already got a good solution because you've got some people who know how to run it. And you guys are rotating and you're handling it. How many of you have a key operator like that who is the only one who really knows how to run that machine? Yeah, if you've heard, uh, if you read my article on Sacred Cows or heard the podcast on the Fab Lab podcast from about a year ago on Sacred Cows Make the Best Hamburger, um, that's, that's what that is. That's a sacred cow. That's an individual who is the key individual in the company. And that's the one, if there's one person that left that's scary to death, that's the person because you don't have a backup plan. 
And cross-training is the key to the backup plan. Cross-training is just putting together a good matrix, list of your people down, down one side, list of the jobs and skills across the top, and then start filling it out. Who knows how to do what? It's even more helpful if you grade it from a beginner to you know proficient to advanced, and then color code those and look at that matrix and say, okay, where, where have I got big holes? You know, Kartik's example of the, of the robot operator, you know, that may be where he's got a big hole in his operation. Uh, and so what's your game plan for taking the training structure that we've talked about and getting other folks to walk through that and learn how to do that? Is that something you're working on, Kartik? Have you started looking at something like that? No, I loved, I loved the visual of that. You know, just it, if we put all our guys and put the different jobs and if they're intermediate, beginning, intermediate, advanced would be would also give them the permission to, hey, he wants me to learn this other stuff too, so I want to be advanced in all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Could be, could be amazing. Yeah, it can be. Um, and I think it's important too that whenever you score somebody on a skill, uh, you know, uh, beginner, uh, proficient, or advanced, that it's a demonstrated skill. It's not just okay. So, so Rich, um, how good are you at running the CNC? Oh man, I'm great. I've been at this ten years. I'm an expert. Well, I'm from Missouri. Show me. That goes back to, okay, so what are your standards for being considered an expert for a CNC operator versus being a beginner or being proficient? It goes back to your training structure. So all this works together. These are all key things that when you look at trying to make the best use of the folks that you've already got, when you're trying to look at, at how you make sure when you do hire somebody, you find that, that rare person that you really want to hire, that they're available and they're interested in coming to work for you. How do you keep them and how do you make them successful? These are all key parts of that. Um, I've got a client, I've, I've looked at this app, but I haven't used it. It looks interesting. There's an app called Trainual, T-R-A-I-N-U-A-L, that looks like a pretty good way to document um, uh, not just job descriptions, but also methods, procedures, practices, that sort of thing. Uh, looks like the kind of thing that you might could have somebody like a lead installer, you want to start building a training program for installers. You could probably have that person on their phone fill out some of that stuff, at least get you started. So that may be a, an app worth looking at. I get no royalties off of that, just to be clear. Uh, folks, we've had some great discussion here. Any, any comments or questions? We're getting close to the top of our hour here. Um, one of the things I typically get into at this stage of the discussion is kind of some, some FAQs, just uh, questions that have come up in the past as I've talked about this with folks. Um, I'm happy to review those if you want. We're at the top of our hour. I know some of you have got other things you're scheduled to do. Uh, I'm going to hang out on the call for another 30 minutes, 20 or 30 minutes. Uh, if anybody wants to hang out and has more questions, wants to talk through things, I'm happy to do that. But if, And if you need help in applying any of this to your business, uh, you can see my contact information. Give me a call. Drop me a line. Happy to talk with you. Um, I really think it's important as managers and as owners to understand that our businesses are running exactly the way we have designed them to run. And if you're not happy with the performance of your business, we got to start looking at how, we, how we've got things set up to run. If you need another set of eyes, somebody with a, a fresh perspective outside looking in, taking a look at that. I do offer a free assessment. Happy to talk with you about setting that up. Doesn't cost you a penny. Takes a, takes a little bit of time to talk through. And all, the objective of the assessment is to give you some specific recommendations that can help you deal with some of the challenges you've got today. Uh, obviously, I'm available to help at a, at a deeper level, but those are things that you can do for free that are quick. The next article that comes out in Slippery Rock in July is How Do We Feed This Beast? 
If you watch the talking heads on TV and the newsreaders, uh, looks like we've got a recession probably heading this way sometime in the, in the near future and to some depth. We don't know yet, of course. So this will be an article about sales and marketing, and we'll have another webinar on that about a month from now as well. But folks, thanks for taking time out of your Friday. I hope this has been helpful. I hope you've learned a lot. I really appreciate all the participation, all the information that you've shared with each other. I think that's very useful, very helpful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fabricators Coach Podcast. If you've got any additional questions about this particular episode or anything else, please check us out at fabricatorscoach.com. Thanks. Have a great day.